0: You are listening to The Message by Antioch Center for the Nations. For more information, please visit www.antiochcenterforthenations.org. Thank you. Spending a lot of time considering Moses and uh, the wonderful story of Moses, all that God did with him, through him, in him. And so I want to talk about that tonight. I'll put the title of our message up. Uh, Moses, Seven Stages of Service to God. Uh, This is a part of the life of Moses, and we're going to cover a lot of the story of Moses. And in this, we're going to learn how God brought Moses through stages of his life, because I believe that a lot of us experience similar things. And as we do this, I want to begin. The first scripture I want to read is actually from... Uh, Hebrews concerning Moses. You know, Hebrews 11 is kind of the, the uh, hall of fame for the people of faith. And it says quite a bit. Moses occupies quite a few verses in that chapter. It says in Hebrews 11, 23, By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born, because they saw he was no ordinary child, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as a greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith, He left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and the application of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land. But when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. Now, we're looking at this Synopsis of the life of Moses, I saw within it actually all of the scriptures that I want to review that make up our message. And these are seven things, seven stages of purpose in the life of Moses. And we're going to look at these one by one and discuss them in relation to ourselves and hopefully learn. This is more about learning. When I was preparing this message, I really believe the Lord brought me to what Paul told Timothy. He said, uh, do public reading of Scripture. Uh, He told him, make sure that you do this regularly. And I, through the years, have done that. I have taken the time to just read the Bible, and of course I did that and recorded it, and we put that online, but also in churches around the world, I've done churches with people who are illiterate, and whole congregations who were illiterate, they could not read or write. And so I would go to their homes and just read the Bible to them. And I remember having so much joy just reading the scriptures to people. And we're going to cover a lot of information. We're not going to go into things about the Israelites and their deliverance. We're not going to look at the plagues. We're not going to look at the details of the deliverance. We're going to look at Moses And focus on him and the stages that he went through in order for him to be the liberator that God used to bring the Israelites out. In the final stage of this, in fact, we will see the fulfillment of purpose in his life, which is the deliverance of the Israelites. So we will stop when we are across the Red Sea. And exactly as that scripture said we saw in Hebrews, they tried to cross and they were smashed. So within the context of the mention of Moses in Hebrews is where we're going to cover and see. So we're following up because if it was important enough that the writer of Hebrews, which was likely Paul, The writer of Hebrews only mentioned that portion. I figured, let that be my table of contents for this message, and we'll cover those things in regard to faith, but as I started studying it more, I saw that it had a lot to do with purpose, and that's why I see seven stages of purpose in the life of Moses, and hopefully you'll be able to identify with this, maybe in your own life. So let's begin by looking at number one. Uh, He was born for a purpose in Exodus chapter 2 verse 1 it says now a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son when she saw that he was a fine child she hid him for three months now this is interesting she saw that he was a fine child the writer of Hebrews said they saw that he was no ordinary child so what was it about him that stood out. Why would he be any different from any other baby? Uh, Maybe a feeling? It says they saw something. I don't think his face was glowing yet. I think he was a normal baby, but they sensed something. You know, I travel around the world. I meet a lot of people in different nations, and sometimes there's groups of people that I minister to, but yet there are a few in that group that I sense something about them. And I can tell, even as the writer of Hebrews, said that they are not ordinary. I'm not saying anybody's ordinary. I think everyone is special. And perhaps when I go and minister, it is the Lord himself distinguishing or separating individuals because I am the one that carries some message for them. And I would go that way. But I have found people that are special. I've seen them and I've sensed purpose on their life. And then sure enough, later, I've been in this long enough that I have seen that purpose unveiled revealed and manifested years after i saw it and i felt good about myself thinking that hey i actually saw that purpose before it ever happened i saw that on them i sensed that i always knew so i see the same thing about Moses here, the parents of Moses saw that he was a fine child and she hid him for three months. Now the reason she hid him is because at that time they were looking to control the population by using a form of infanticide of only the male babies. They were euthanizing the the male babies so that they could control the population and just have female servants or slaves, which of course is a cruel and a horrible thing. But something was so special about this child, some purpose that they knew we need to do everything within our power to protect this child. And so certainly they asked God too, and we're going to see God intervene in a moment. But when we sense purpose on our life, or we more importantly sense someone has purpose on their life, we should do everything within our power to preserve those people or preserve that element of ourselves we believe God is singling out. Because everybody has an individual thing that they will be special at. I I actually recently was thinking a lot about my purpose. What was my ultimate purpose? And I thought of it like this. If you ask yourself if you could only do one thing to make yourself happy as a spiritual being, what would it be? And that will reveal your purpose. For me, the only thing I want to do is experience the presence of God. The only thing I want to do is bring people into the presence of God. And what I mean by the presence of God is the manifest power of the Spirit, the power of God, the tangible reality of God, that people will know and distinguish that God is real. I want people to experience that. And it just so happens that that's been my experience from the time I was first born again. And I've walked in that purpose all these years. And so that part of me that is the worshiper, the one that goes into the Holy of Holies, that part of me, I believe I must protect to the best of my ability. And that is the child of me that I will preserve because I see that it is special because not everyone can do that. I'm not saying that I'm the only person that can do that, but I know that that's the one thing I seem to really be good at. I do a lot of other things, but One thing I can do is bring people into the presence of God and cause them to experience God in new and deeper ways. So anyway, whatever your purpose is, you need to find it and make sure you take care of it and pray that God would help you to do so. Then he will do something similar to what we see here in being born for a purpose under Moses. So it said there that they hid him for three months. Verse 3 says, but when she could hide him no longer... She got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him." And you look at this and you think, what would cause this woman to do this? Where did this idea come from? And I would conjecture to believe that God gave her the idea, because all the elements work together. Or some may say, well, God worked with her idea. You know, the Bible says that he works with us, signs and wonders confirming. And also we saw, for instance, Eleazar, when he found Rebecca for Isaac, he did the same thing. He made a deal and said, look, let the first girl that comes to me and offers to um, give me water and to water my camels as well, let that be the one. God cooperated with that. We see this later in the story of Moses too, God's ability to cooperate and alter his plan because of man. Originally, he intended for Moses to be the one to go to the Israelites and speak to them, but Moses pulled back. Moses resisted, as we'll see later, and what happened? God had to amend the plan and said, all right, well, then look, here comes Aaron. Let him, in fact, this is the new plan. The new plan is I will make you like God to Pharaoh, and this man will be your prophet. So God does that. He sees where we are in our weakness, in our ability. But God first thought Moses was certainly capable of doing the job. But Moses was reluctant, as we'll see later. But here, this woman came up with this idea, or God gave her the idea. I don't know what came first, the chicken or the egg. But her sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the river bank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her female slave to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying, and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. So the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this baby and nurse him for me, and I will pay you. (laughs) So the woman took the baby and nursed him. When the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. Fascinating to see how God turned around a death sentence, that this child should have died, uh, just like often purpose can be assassinated in people's lives. When purpose is born, it has to be nurtured, it has to be protected, and God will work with you and cause all things to work together for the good of the one that is called according to what? His purposes. The purpose in us is the life and the power and the virtue of God that will preserve us. If we can connect to our purpose, then nothing can stop us. And God will work everything out for us to fulfill that. And Moses, even while he was a baby, had that purpose on him. It was discernible. And they've done this. And God is working hard to take care of him. Take, nurse him for me. I'll pay you to nurse this baby. Of course not knowing that it was the actual child of that woman. So what elation or joy she must have experienced knowing that this child was going to die if they discovered they could have killed but the girl felt sorry for the baby even knowing it was a hebrew child so she covered that aspect and preserved the baby's life maybe she also saw god's purpose without knowing even what it was because the purpose works that way too when it's on someone people will know people notice things about me and they do not know me Uh, They do not know who I am. They're not even of my faith or my belief system, but they sense something. They'll even tell me sometimes, this is something different about you. And I then later will tell them, I believe it is what God is doing on me. He has a purpose for my life. Let's go to the second one, number two, as we learn about Moses here, because we have misunderstanding of purpose. Now Moses has this purpose upon him. One day, this is Exodus 2.11, after Moses had grown up, Uh, does, does not tell you much about Moses' childhood when he was growing up. Just suddenly we fast forward to this moment when he is really in his, from what we can determine, in his late 30s now, approaching 40. Because we know that he goes to Midian, which he'll do in a moment, to live there at the age of 40. And so, uh That's growing up. All right. How many of you are 40 or, or above? We're grown ups. And so it says after he would grown up. So for 40 years, we don't know what happened from the time he was born and raised three months, four months, five months old. So we have 39 and a half years. We don't know. So that means that purpose was contained in him, held in him, and God preserved him in Egypt all that time. Remember, the writer of Hebrews said he did not decide to stay there. And this now is the beginning of that happening. It says, one day after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people, looking this way and that and seeing no one. He killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. The next day, he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked the one in the wrong, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew?' The man said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, what I did must have become known. When Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian. So here we see in this number two is the misunderstanding of purpose. Moses has this passion, this drive, this purpose. His purpose was ultimately to deliver the Israelites, ultimately to liberate people that were held in bondage. But he feels the purpose rising in him and perhaps prematurely decides to execute a plan to redeem or to liberate the people by doing away with their oppressors in this case killing the egyptian guard and burying him but this was Actually, jumping the gun, as we say, this was before God intended for the deliverance to take place. Still time had to go, but he did this. And I say about purpose is that we must be careful when there is a purpose on our life. Whatever God's plan is, don't be in a hurry since the time purpose is revealed to you or to those around you. Maybe you have to wait 39 and a half years. No, I I figured somebody would say, oh, no, no. You're thinking, I don't know if I have that many years left. I heard once one of my mentors, uh, uh, the, their father used to tell them that in, if you uh, do the right thing, within 30 years, you'll have a ministry. Talking about people focused on God. And he believed that usually 30 years or more. You know, I heard it also said this way, preachers today will study three and a half years for 30 years of earthly ministry, and uh, Jesus uh, spent 30 years uh, preparing for three and a half years of ministry, and if that's Jesus, how much more us? I think we become impatient, and if we go too fast, too far, with the purposes we feel growing we need to be careful. We can jump the gun, as I said. We can do too much too fast. We need to let the gift mature. We need to let... I'm not an advocate of complacency. I'm not an advocate of just sit there and do nothing. I don't believe waiting upon the Lord means twiddling your thumbs. I believe it means staying active in service to humanity, to people, to the church, loving people and caring for them. So we see here Moses misunderstood the purpose. Be careful not to do so yourself. Number three, we see here the instinct of purpose. Exodus 2, 15 goes on, Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian, where he sat down by a well. Now, a priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came to draw water and fill the troughs to water their father's flock. Some shepherds came along and drove them away. But Moses got up and came to their rescue and watered their flock. Here he goes again. He just has this predilection to deliver, to help, to do something. He just did that in Egypt. You think he did learned his lesson and maybe sit back, but he had this sense of righteousness, a desire to help this injustice that was taking place in front of him. And that purpose, once again, was trying to work its way out of him. In this case, however, the purpose coming through him is going to open the door for him to be where he needs to be and for him to receive what he needs for his life, including his wife. And so he feels this, he goes, he drives away, but Moses got, came to, to rescue watered their flock. When the girls returned to Ruel, their father, he asked them, why have you returned so early today? In other words, you got your chores done so quickly, it usually takes you so long. They answered, an Egyptian rescued us from the shepherds. So you get the idea that they were regularly having to flee from other shepherds coming and monopolizing the well, because wells were individual holes that were usually shared by a community, and so probably took them some time to wait until the other shepherds were finished. finish. This day, they were in luck, because a deliverer was on site, and he helped them as his purpose came through him and the father wanted to know why. Now he's curious because something has happened. In other words, the gift or the purpose that was in Moses is making room for him. Uh, It's causing a change in the environment around him that is opening doors and that's where I really believe that the purpose that you have inside of you will emerge and will cause things to change around you. When those things do change, be prepared to accept the invitations and to walk through the open doors that come as a result. Why have you turned early? They answered, an Egyptian rescued us from them. He even drew water for us and watered the flock. And where is he? Raoul asked his daughters. Why did you leave him? Invite him to have something to eat. Moses agreed to stay with the man who gave his daughter Zipporah to Moses in marriage. Every time I read this, I think, did that happen all in the same moment? Hey, come stay at my house. Would you like a daughter? You know, I don't know. I think maybe it took a little bit of time for this to unfold. But uh, he did have seven daughters. It says no mention of any sons. He might have thought, I'm running out of time here. I need to get some of these girls married off. Uh, I don't know who this guy is, but hey, at least he did something kind. And he helped my daughters, so... Take your pick. Did he, did he say take your pick? He didn't say that. I'm putting words in his mouth. Kind of like when you go pick out a puppy from a litter. Look at all the little puppies. I did not mean that in any demeaning way toward a female. But I do believe the Bible says that he who finds a wife finds a good thing because a wife is sought after like a precious jewel. So husbands look and find. When my wife walked in the room, I fell in love. My mouth fell open. And I said, I want that. And I uh, hear 30, almost 35 years later, it's behind the curtain right there. It. <laughs> she is. Of course, I love my wife. So they, they get married. And this happened because of purpose. This happened because Moses was functioning in what was his instinct. I don't think these were conscious decisions that he made. You understand? And I... In my aforementioned purpose of worship, for instance, uh, that has often instinctively just come up in me and has caused some amazing things to happen through the years. Even amongst people of other faith, different religions, it's always coming back to that. I always end up, I can think of at least 30, 40 times impromptu where there was no plan for me to lead worship, but I ended up somewhere on an instrument with a room full of people weeping in the presence of God with no plan, just an instinct. It comes natural to me to do that. Just like it came natural to Moses to do what he does, to deliver, to help. And as a result, God blessed him with food, a place to stay, a wife, and then even more, it says Sepporah gave birth to a son, and Moses named him Gershom, saying, I have become a foreigner in a foreign land. But he now has a family. He's stepping up in life, and his instinct of purpose is bringing him forward. So now we go to number four. We find deeper than even Moses what I call the instigation of purpose. Now, what causes purpose? To arise Now, I want you to understand something, that the people of Israel were progressively falling into slavery over a 400-year period. So this was long before, but we can say, let's just say it took the first 200 years for them to be reduced to just low-salary workers to actual slavery. I don't know how long, but we know that it had They had great favor in the beginning with, the, with Joseph and the Pharaoh with whom he related, but Pharaohs come and go. They die and other Pharaohs take their place. Even in the life of Moses, we see three Pharaohs uh, changing places on the throne of Egypt. So in this case, over those 400 years, many Pharaohs came and went, and so much so, they forgot all about what Joseph had done. They forgot that their ancestors were alive and their children were alive because of what Joseph did. And they began to mistreat the Israelites, and that evolved into that culture of slavery where they controlled them. But God was blessing them instead, and they were multiplying, which is what brewed this concoction of elements and instigating purpose by design were these elements. It says in Exodus 2.23, during that long period, and that's the 40 years now that Moses is in Midian. Because he lived to the age of 40, he killed the guard, had to flee because of the death sentence on him, and now he spends another 40 years in Midian there with his wife and his family. And during that long period, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out, and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning. And he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. Now this is interesting because the concern about the cry of these people is the real instigation of the purpose that rose in him. This is where we always have to understand your purpose in God will always be Far bigger than you, beyond you, and existed before you ever came into being. I believe that the purposes of God are eternal elements of the character, the personality, and the nature of God Himself. God is inherently compassionate and He's kind and the Israelites groaned. God heard their groaning. He remembered his covenant. He'd made a promise hundreds of years before this, but because of that groaning and that compassion, he began to stir purpose, and that purpose found a channel through a baby who was later named Moses because he was drawn forth out of the water. It is important that you understand if God is going to use you, he is going to cause a purpose to come through you that is older than you, that's greater than you. In fact, another word for purpose in this case could be anointing. Uh, the purpose could be the empowering of spirit on you. And as we've seen in the last uh, year, even I've spoken about the spirit of Elijah was on Elisha. We saw that John the Baptist operated in the spirit and the power of Elijah. Jesus went as far as say, it, those who have ears to hear this and can accept it, he is Elijah. Didn't mean that John was Elijah reincarnated. It meant that John the Baptist had the same purpose, the same power upon him that was on Elijah, then went to Elisha. So we see the purposes of God or the power or the anointing of God going through all time and space because they are eternal purposes that have part of a sovereign great plan and I find it important that I recognize this instigation of purpose and just meld into it. Believe it. Part of my purpose is actually to stimulate international missions. That's part of my purpose. Worship is first. But after that, it's to get people involved in going to different nations. I'm excited. Over the next um, two weeks, I will be in four countries. So I'm so thrilled to be going and doing and visiting and, and doing the things I'm doing, to have doors that are opening for me. to be. I'm still going to be here on Thursdays and Sundays. But in the in-between, I'm going to be popping out of different places, preaching and teaching, and also visiting other places, uh, For a friend that's coming, we're going to have a wonderful time. Now, I, that's part of my heart. That's part of my purpose. And as a result, that purpose is eternal. It's always been. It goes back to Jesus. And there was an interesting occasion once that I was in my home state on furlough visiting. And I drove across the border of my home state from Texas to Louisiana. When I crossed the Sabine River into Louisiana, I had a vision. And the vision was a table, it was a conference table, It was so clear, with men sitting around it. And they were praying and planning. I knew when I saw it, it was in the 1950s or 60s, late 50s. Be like you watch some old TV show and you can recognize by the clothing. The vision was so clear. I knew that that was before I was born, before I was born. And those men, I recognized a few of the men at the table, much younger versions of some. uh, Some had passed on, some were still alive, but I can name those people. I saw Roy Stockstill. I saw Brother Matheny. I can name these people that were at the table. These guys were the ones that caused Louisiana, the state, and their covenant of pastors gathered together and decided Louisiana would touch the world for Jesus. And from that land would go many missionaries and teachers and preachers and a great missions movement arose in them. Uh, From that state comes David Hogan. From that state, Tommy Tinney, God Chasers. From that state, I could name all kinds of amazing men and women of God that have touched the world for Jesus that I believe are connected to um, that meeting of those people. Jimmy Swaggart came out. It's a, don't look up the name. You'll be disappointed about the outcome at the end of his ministry. But believe me when I tell you, he was as big, not bigger than Reinhardt Bunker in that time that they were touching the globe for Jesus and planting Bible schools around the world. They were part of the Assemblies of God movement. All of these came down to a group of men that made a choice. What does the Bible say? Two or more gather in his name, whatever we agree upon he will do it. What they agreed upon became an anointing was released that went through my pastor who was subject to and trained by some of those people. And when I was born in the church, I simply came in line with that purpose for world harvest and connected to it. And I didn't know why God showed me that until actually it took me about a year or two to figure out why would God show me that group of men? Because he wanted me to see the instigation of purpose. He wanted me to understand that the purposes of God for our life are much older and much greater than we are. And we should count it as an amazing privilege to come under that eternal plan. And I just want to find my place in what God wants. So if it was instigated before and I was ever here, I'm fine with it. And I'm excited about just dovetailing into whatever God wants wants to do. Also, remembering that God will customize that experience for me, according to my inabilities, my weaknesses. He is gracious and kind. Amen? Number five, the agent of purpose. Now, it says in verse one, Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law. This is 40 years in. 40 years in that place, just doing this job, He was sending uh, Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. He's tending his flock and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Now, first of all, understand that the the angel of the Lord or God appearing was not the fire and it was not the bush, but it appeared within that. The flames were coming from the inside, says from within the bush. So somehow, we don't know why, but God was dwelling there to have this interaction with Moses. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up, which was certainly an interesting sight to see. So Moses thought, hmm, I'll go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Now once again, notice the lineage of purpose. That this plan is something connected to generations that came way before Moses. As we look at this, he is about to become an agent. There's a difference between someone with a desire and someone with authority. There's a difference between someone with a dream and someone with the anointing to accomplish it. And purpose will first come to you as an idea, but up till now, Moses has been trying to do something that God was not quite ready. But when God is ready, he will come to you, and he will call you individually, and bring you in line, and he will authorize you, he will deputize you, he will make you an agent of his purpose, not just for your life, but for everyone's lives. And so he said who he is. He introduced himself as the God of the father, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. I think I would be too. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. There's the instigation of purpose again. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So... I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. So now as God is speaking to him, he's telling him this is his plan. This is his purpose. He's he's saying that it is his. And at this point... Uh, He says the history that I first appeared to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all the lineage of people that preceded you and all the Israelites until now. But now I'm revealing myself to you because you need to come in line with the purpose that you sensed your whole life that you knew was upon you and that people saw in you from the time you were born. But now I am going to use you within the parameters of that purpose. Now, you would think anybody that heard that from God would be so excited and say, great, let's do this. But if you know your Bibles like I know you do, you know that's a rare thing. And almost everybody tries to get out of it. Every time God comes and tells somebody that you will conceive and the child in you will be child of the most high. Well, how can this be? I'm just a virgin. Mary tried to get out of the job when it was offered to her. But he, the angel Gabriel was persistent and kept on talking to her. And she received, she said, okay, but she had to agree because that's another thing about purpose. This is the scariest thing about purpose to me. We have the right, we have the power to derail the purpose of God. We have the power to refuse its operation in our life and stop it from moving. Now, that does not mean the purpose will not be fulfilled It means that we will not be used in the fulfillment of that purpose and that is scary that means if we do not yield to whatever that thing is that God has for us God will simply find someone else now he's patient he's gonna wait he's gonna do his best but we need to eventually (laughs) submit to it and this is where we come with this wrestling about purpose. purpose can be very scary I think God. God did not show me early on all that I would have done for these years past. I don't know if I would have been able to handle it. But he revealed it incrementally. And I saw the things I had to go through to be where I am today. And I knew, okay, but if you had shown me everything when I was still 17 years old, I think I would have run away. But here we see the reluctancy. Number six, reluctant to purpose. Verse 11 of chapter 3 of Exodus. Moses said, but Moses... It's always but us but moses said to god who am i that i should go to pharaoh and bring the israelites out of egypt and god said i will be with you and that's really all we need look if god is for you who can be against you if god is in you if the purpose of god is in operation through you it does not matter who you are and that's where god is confused that's also where gabriel was confused with mary and said i'm gabriel i stand in the presence of god what do you mean You think anything is impossible? There is nothing impossible with God. I will be with you. And this will be the sign that it it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what's his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Hmm. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. This is fascinating because at this point, God had never revealed himself to this degree. He's reluctant, but it's an honor. In fact, later we won't read that part. There's a a passage where it says that I, yeah, I I appeared to your forefathers, but I've never told them my name. And he says, but this is my name. In other words, we find that operating in purpose generationally, there is an evolution of revelation about who God is. Moses was able to understand God in ways that not Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, or any of them understood. So we build upon the foundations of relationship with God from our predecessors or our spiritual ancestors. And that's where it's very exciting to study people that have really made contact with God and have operated in God and in the supernatural. And when you study them, hear them, learn from them, listen to what they preached, read the books that they wrote, you're able to employ that information as a foundation upon which you can live. My first real encounters with God came because I read books about people's encounters with God. And I realized that if it was possible for those people, it's possible we. Me, And whatever they experience, I can experience. So I pressed in and looked for it. As God began to call me, I too become reluctant. I didn't know if I could do these things. But I did also become like Mary and say, look, here's your servant, whatever you want to do. Moses continues to fight for quite some time though, even after this, and gives more and more excuses. And that's where I said earlier, he tells him that, look, he says, I can't speak. I'm not a good speaker. I have faltering lips. And he says, all right, and look, who's that coming? That's Aaron. Aaron, I'm going to make you like God and Aaron will speak for you. Some people said, where it says he has faltering lips means that he stuttered and that he was not Able to speak. Other theologians say that he actually did not speak the language necessary to communicate with the Hebrew elders because he was young and raised as an Egyptian. Does not mean he learned Hebrew. I'm sure they didn't learn the language of the slaves, but the slaves learned the language of the masters. And so if he probably only spoke Egyptian, and then later the language of the Midians as he went there. So to go back and speak the language of the Israelites, he probably wouldn't have been good at the language. That's one take on it, and how theologians have seen it. But Aaron somehow grew up as a Hebrew, uh, separate from him, he was older, but he was his brother. He grew up and knew the Hebrew culture and could communicate. So that's another reason why he may have used him. So maybe, and it's interesting to note, that why would he use then someone who was ill-equipped to do the job? I don't know why, but he always does. God seems to think it's funny to take someone who's not very good at a thing and make them do it and equip them and empower them so that it can be done. I guess that's just how he can get more glory. To know that God is God and we are not. And he is great. Amen. So here Moses continues. And now from this point. We know the story goes on to where he is finally convinced that he confronts Pharaoh, and Pharaoh is hard-hearted, so he does not listen to him, and then the staff turns into the snake, and then he does all the plagues, and the flies, and the frogs, and the blood, and all these horrible things. Finally, in the culmination of the Passover, the first Passover that Hebrews talked about, where he believed what God told him to put the blood blood of the lamb sacrificed above their door the angel of death came the last plague was the death of the firstborn and the angel of death came but none of the Hebrews children died because they had blood the angel of death knew if there's blood on that house don't touch it go to the ones that do not and so they were preserved now after that finally Pharaoh in ruin his own son dead uh, Egypt is a disaster. It stinks. There's dead frog bodies everywhere. The river's full of blood. Everything's a mess. The animals are all done. Hail has destroyed all the crops. It is devastated. And finally, after all that, he agrees to let them go. And then again changes his mind. So now more than ever before, Moses has to be the deliverer for these people as he's employed by God. Number seven, we see the final one fulfillment of purpose exodus fourteen thirteen. moses answered the people do not be afraid stand firm and you will see the deliverance the lord will bring you today the egyptians you see today you will never see again the lord will fight for you you need only to be still then the lord said to moses why are you crying out to me tell the israelites to move on raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the israelites can go through the sea on dry ground I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them. And I will gain glory through Pharaoh and all his army, through his chariots and his horsemen. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. And the angel of God, who had been traveling in front of Israel's army, withdrew and went behind them. The pillar of cloud also moved in front and stood behind them coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. Throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to the one side and light to the other side, so neither went near the other all night long. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all the night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided and The Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. The Egyptians pursued them, and all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen followed them into the sea. During the last watch of the night, the Lord looked down from the pillar of fire and cloud at the Egyptian army and threw it into confusion. He jammed the wheels of their chariots so that they had difficulty driving. And the Egyptians said, let's get away from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt." Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and horsemen. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and at daybreak, the sea went back to its place. The Egyptians were fleeing toward it and the Lord swept them into the sea. The water flowed back and covered the chariots and horsemen, the entire army of Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea. Not one of them survived. But the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left That day, the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. When the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. Number seven, the fulfillment of purpose. Moses did exactly what his purpose commissioned him to do. He yielded to it. He operated. And now we know the story goes on from here. And he still has to do a whole lot of things for these people because they uh, have trouble believing and trusting So it is with anyone who's in a position of leadership in God's kingdom, you will find that the sheep are often very slow to change, to yield, and to grow. But if we yield to purpose, we will see it fulfilled in our life. Let's review the seven things we saw. Moses in the seven stages of purpose. Number one, born for a purpose, just like you and me. You're born for a purpose. You might say, well, I don't know my purpose. Well, it's there. You'll find it. Uh, just remember and listen to what Moses did. Start to ask yourself, what is it that, that is something that keeps coming out of you? Misunderstanding of purpose. It, maybe it's, it's not yet that you let this purpose flow out of you. Just give it some time. Keep Washing yourself in the water of the word. Stay faithful in service like Moses did. He served the priest of Midian. He served Jethro. He was there to do everything that he did. The instinct of purpose was there. We know that before um, anything, Moses naturally had that inclination. The instigation of purpose proved that God's purpose was older than Moses by hundreds of years. Then the agent of purpose is the moment when he comes to you and makes you or capacitates you with the ability to operate in that purpose by his supernatural influence. You too will see your staff turn into a snake and eat the other snakes of the magicians of Egypt. You too will be able to call and see. Whatever God tells you to do, you can call it to be, and it'll happen if you're operating in that purpose. Number six, reluctant to purpose. It's okay if you're reluctant Just don't outright refuse. It's okay to even argue with God a little bit. He don't mind that. He said, let's reason together. Come, let's reason together. Give him your heart. Speak to him. Gideon did the same thing. Because the angel called him a mighty man of valor, and he was—he said, I, "How am I a mighty man of valor when I'm hiding in a wine press just to to um, to thresh my wheat? Because I'm afraid the Amalekites are going to come and steal it. I'm a coward." What do you mean? But he was reluctant, just like we all are. That's actually just another sign of humility, and he obeyed. And of course, ultimately, the fulfillment of purpose, just like Moses. If you yield, uh, you will be able to see the purposes of God fulfilled in your life. Amen? Moses is a great story. I love the story. Of course, there's a lot more there. From this point, he goes on into the wilderness. You know, at this point, too, think, think of what kind of patience that Moses needed now that he is 80 years of age. He does this. And they finally go, and next thing you know, you see him fighting the the first enemies, and he raises his hands, and there's a great victory, remember, we saw that, and uh, his hands fell, they had to hold up his hands, and then, of course, they were hard-hearted, stiff-necked, as it says in Hebrews, and they missed the rest, and ended up for 40 years, and Moses, because of his purpose, had to remain there with them for 40 years, And so it's interesting to see. God has a purpose for you and he will fulfill it. Amen.